taken by the Knights. Petrangelo for Carlson. Finds Amadio. Two on one. Amadio stops. Centers. Score! Riley Smith for the Knights. Three to two Vegas. 3.40 to go. With Grady and Bischoff. Seven seconds to go. Eichel wins the draw. Hard corner. Petrangelo lifts it to center. Trickling back to the Carolina line. The horn will sound. The Knights win it. Eichel with two. Smith the game winner. Vegas three. Carolina two. On ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. It's Ed, Tyler, the Degenerates running the show. Your morning press box update on the weather from our new studio. No snow. Wind, uh, flags are flapping. You've never been more excited to be able to see yes. out of a window than you are in this studio. <laughs> well, our regular studio, we look at a wall and, and the entrance to this little studio. So now we've got a shot of a Flamingo with the cars going by. We've got the uh, flags whipping. It's, it's windy out there. You came in with a weather update this morning. You said that the snow I was so excited about in the mountains have already has already started to melt. And I told you, riding home yesterday, the the view was beautiful. You've been excited for like two weeks about the snow <laughs> sticking to the ground, <laughs> and you got to look at mountains where snow yes, stuck. Exactly, but it didn't stick around you, and no. now it's already gone. Is it we're, already gone? We're back to our dirt mountains. Okay, All right. which is I'm fine. Depressed about that. I don't, Danny. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. All Danny, right. are we on the air? <laughs> Uh, I not inspire much confidence. I haven't the, been told that we're not on the air, so let's function as if we are. Two minutes before the show, you were running some kind of uh, loud beeps. Yeah, that we didn't really know what was about that. Uh, it was supposed to be a sports update, an NFL update, but um, I don't think the NFL has much to update right now. Well, it's at the combine. It's got some stuff to update. Yeah, doesn't it start today? I think, the I think they're running the forties today. Have oh, they already they, so done the, the hand sizes? So the interviews are over? In uh, terms of the are they interviews? Over? I don't know. Maybe. I'll look it hand, up on one of my you four are right, though. You are right, though. Hand sizes, we have got to be on that. we got to know yes. hand sizes very soon. Yeah. I will find out. The first bite. Will the Golden Knights trade for Jonathan Quick? Big name. Big name. We'll get to the game they played later in the show because they actually... Played well. It'd be a good team. Right. There's a good win for the Golden Knights, but it's the trade deadline. Nobody cares about the actual games. Um, Let me me read this to you first. Gary Lawless, who writes for the Golden Knights on Tuesday, wrote a story about the Golden Knights and how their roster has been built. And this was how he started the story. The narrative says... The Vegas Golden Knights management has built its roster going after every available shiny toy. It's false. Less than 24 hours later, they were linked to Jonathan Quick. Well, he was a shiny toy at one point in his career. He's not so shiny this year, so maybe that holds true. That's the worst part of it. He's terrible, but he's shiny because he's got a popular name. Well, and he's got two rings. Yes, that's at least in the past when the Golden Knights have traded for the shiny toy. It's been a guy who's actually good shiny at the at moment. That moment. Jonathan Quick's bad. Yep. So Jonathan Quick, according to Frank Saravalli, hearing the Golden Knights are well down the track to tra- on trade talk to acquire Jonathan Quick from Columbus, but there are salary cap obstacles that could prevent it from getting across the finish line. Jonathan Quick 
Uh, his cap hit is $5.8 million. The Golden Knights are somewhere around $5 million in cap space now because they made a different trade yesterday that we will get to as well. Um, meaning the Golden Knights most likely can't just acquire Jonathan Quick and his whole salary Without at the moment. Without doing something else. Or just having Columbus retain some of right. it, which has been that's happened in so many trades at the deadline is the team trading away a player retains some of the salary and generally gets a better pick in return when they do that. So conceivably the price would be a little bit higher, but Columbus would hold 50%, 25%, whatever that percentage needs to be of Jonathan Quick's salary. But I'll give you these two stats. Jonathan Quick's save percentage this year is 876. It's the worst of his career. Jonathan Quick's goal saved above expected this year is negative 19. He ranks 72nd out of 74 goalies this year. Why would the Golden Knights trade for Jonathan Quick? Because I think they think the injuries are worse than they're letting on with other people. Um, and they still don't trust someone like Aiden Hill over someone with the experience of Jonathan Quick if, in fact, the injuries are worse than we think. Every, you know, Laurent Bersois, they're saying his day-to-day, that often works out into month-to-month. <laughs> I mean, Logan Thompson, wasn't he at one point week to week? Now he's not even close. Yeah, so the update on Logan Thompson yesterday is that he is nowhere near right. getting on the ice, according to Bruce Cassidy. And there's 20 games left. Right. Uh, Laurent Brossois is not skating yet either. So both of those goalies aren't coming back in the very near future. I mean, Brossois conceivably is a goalie. You can what probably skate for a couple of days and It'd then be, be good to go. Yeah. So it probably shouldn't take too long. But Thompson, when Cassidy says nowhere near, that's a little bit alarming. I think yeah. for, for Logan Thompson, that he's not coming back in the regular season. So if, if we went down worst case scenario and Thompson might be done for the year, right. And Laurent Brossois is out for more than just day to day. And that's a reason for them to go get Jonathan quick. Is Jonathan Quick better than Aiden Hill? Well, stats-wise, this year, no. But I still think his inexperience, they would think that Jonathan Quick having two cups. And let me ask you this backwards. Uh, is Jonathan Quick's numbers have to do with him being so bad this year, which I think a lot of it has to do, or the people in front of him? No, LA's good. So he's just been really bad. LA's in a playoff spot, right. and they've got one of the worst goalies in the league, yeah. Jonathan Quick. Right, And here's the thing. Goal saved above expected when you're negative 19. That takes into account who's in front of you mm-hmm. and what shots you're facing, what chances you're facing. Like You can give up. You could have a, the worst save percentage in the league and still have a positive goal saved above expected because you're just getting a ton of high danger chances against you. When you're negative 19, he's negative 19 in goal saved above expected, which is essentially saying the average NHL goalie would have saved 19 more, more shots than, he would. than Jonathan Quick this year. That's atrocious. It's been horrible. So it, if you're getting that Jonathan Quick, he should never see the ice. Michael Hutchinson should be playing over that Jonathan Quick because that is the worst goalie in the league. That is the goalie that sinks a good team. I guess I can understand trading for Jonathan Quick and hoping that he regains some of his form from when he was a superstar-level goalie. But he's 37 years old. I don't know that there's just going to be a flip switched in March for a 37-year-old that suddenly he becomes 
an above average goalie because at the end of the day, Aiden Hill hasn't been very good this year. But at the end of the day, if the Golden Knights get one of Thompson or Brossois back, they probably have an average NHL goalie in one of those two guys. And Jonathan Quick has to go to, for this to make sense. Jonathan Quick has to go from horrible worst goalie in the league to, to above average, average for him to play above an one average goalie. Two. So I don't get it. I think like Cam Talbot would make more sense. He's less against the cap. You don't have to have the other team retain salary. And he hasn't been great this year, but he's been significantly better than Jonathan Quick. So I don't understand it. And to go back to Gary Lawless saying they don't chase the shiny toy, the only reason you trade for Jonathan Quick is because of his name. Because his name is shiny. That's the only reason this makes any sense whatsoever is because they saw the name Jonathan Quick is available and thought, oh, we know that name. That's a popular name. Let's go get it. Which is exactly what they've been criticized for doing in the past is going and getting the shiny toy regardless of fit, regardless of what it does to the roster. I mean, if you're telling me they're better in front of him than I surmised, uh, I don't understand it either. Are they thinking that because of Cassidy's system that he could he could essentially be better? He could essentially become better than average? Possibly, but if but to me, if the argument is, hey, Bruce Cassidy's system will help Jonathan Quick out, then maybe it should just be play, helping the others. Just play Aiden, Aiden Hill. Hill. I mean, if if it's all about the system, then you don't need a goalie. Like you you can just put anybody out there and you don't need to give up an asset to get Jonathan Quick in return. Now, how much is Jonathan Quick going to cost? I think is another question here. If they give up a fifth round pick for Jonathan Quick, who cares, right? Like, I mean, that's that's a nothing asset, right? right? That that's fine. It, they might feel beholden to keep him on the roster, even if there are two better goalies, which could be a problem down the road. But if all it costs you is a fifth round pick, then it's not that big of a deal to go get Jonathan Quick. Uh, but if they're asking Columbus to retain salary and Columbus is like, well, if we're going to retain salary, you better make it a, a third, third or a pick. second. Right. Then all of a sudden you're saying, all right, what are you doing there? Like you're giving up a much better asset than you probably should be for a player. For a that, guy who's been horrible. Right. And might not help you at all. They did make a trade yesterday, though. Uh, they did trade for Teddy Bluger, who is a 28 year old. He's got one year left on his deal. Just two point two million dollar cap hit. Uh, Teddy Bluger only has two goals in 45 games. His career high is nine, but he's not here to score goals. He was a fourth line center for the Pittsburgh Penguins, and that is presumably his role. I'll give you a couple of stats on Teddy Bluger. First from Sinbin.Vegas, he has started 87% of his shifts in the defensive zone this year. Nobody for the Golden Knights has started over 70% of their defensive shifts in the uh, or shifts in the defensive zone. And then from Jay Fresh Hockey, who has uh, wins above replacement stats. He is in the 82nd percentile among or for defensive war. Mm-hmm. So the Golden Knights traded for Teddy Bluger, and it seems like a very obvious, very clear what his role is. He's going to play on the fourth line, probably as the center, because Nick Waugh is out, and it doesn't sound like he's coming back anytime soon. And he is going to be a defensive forward, somebody that Cassidy can trust to put out there, probably against any line, and not give up a ton of goals. Chances. Not going to score a lot, but the idea there is you put Teddy Bluger out there and the other team's not scoring either. Another so, depth guy. Right. And this one, the the difference, I think, between Bluger and Ivan Barbashev is I think Bluger has a clear role, right? right? And it's fourth line, maybe third line, but fourth line center, maybe winger if Nick Wah ever comes back. And he's out there to shut people down. Barbashev is more of a 
hey, can we make this work with Eichel? And if not, do we need to make it work somewhere? Barbashev is probably a better player, but you don't really know where he fits in the lineup yeah. because how good is he going to be right, with Eichel yeah. or do you need to put him somewhere else? Like there's a lot more questions there. They gave up a third round pick for Bluger and a prospect in Peter Dillapatore, who is, uh, I don't think he's in the top 10 of any of the Golden Knights prospect rankings. So not like a high end prospect. Two assets for a rental of a fourth-line center might be a little much, but uh, at the end of the day, they might simply be replacing Nick Waugh because apparently Bruce Cassidy made it sound like Nick Waugh is going to be out for a while. He Last night when he talked about uh, Nick Waugh, he grouped him in with Mark Stone. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. About like He was talking about what they missed from Mark Stone and Nick Waugh. And it's like, oh, so those neither one of those guys are coming, coming back, back anytime soon. soon. And Bluger's got to be the one to pick up the slack. So Golden Knights made a trade. They've got, uh, what are we at, about 30 hours or something like that before the trade deadline tomorrow. And we'll see if they end up acquiring Jonathan Quick. Coming up next on ESPN Las Vegas, UNLV might have had its worst basketball game of the season last night. Webster down to Keyshawn Hall. Keyshawn on the left wing. Keyshawn little head fake, now drives inside and puts it up with the left hand and draws the foul. Trailing by 11, 49-38. Jackie's going to take a very long three. Whoa. And he'll hit it. <laughs> Jackie Johnson knocks down his second three of the game. And the Rebels within eight, 49-41. Kevin Kruger encouraging his team. See if they can get a stop. Text Grady and Bischoff at 69187 with the word ESPN. There weren't many stops. I don't think they got one the rest of the game after that <laughs> shot was made. Uh, UNLV lost Utah State 91-66. to Utah State's 1.3 points per possession is the most UNLV has allowed this season. Utah, Utah State made 71% of their two-pointers against UNLV in that game. That's the second highest two-point percentage UNLV has allowed in a game this season. That I think was the most embarrassing game of the season for UNLV. Uh, losing to Utah State's not bad because Utah State has a good shot to go to the NCAA tournament, but getting completely blown off your home floor by Utah State and doing it in a manner where defensively, where this team was supposed to be good, they were completely useless on that end of the floor. In that manner, that's probably the most embarrassing loss of the season. For UNLV. It was weird. I thought I was seeing Groundhog Day because I kept switching back between hockey and basketball. And every time I went back to basketball, Utah State was dunking. <laughs> that happened a lot. <laughs> every time I was like a slip for a dunk or do a second pass for a dunk and a layup. And I just kept saying, is that the same kid? <laughs> it was a different kid a lot of the times, no. too. That's the problem. It was everybody getting in on it. So here's, here's a question that I know you and I can't actually answer, but we can... Uh, Maybe take a guess based on how they're playing. Players giving up on the season? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think those players have given up. Did you see? Um, did you see what uh, Justin, Justin Webster, Webster. Said, uh, said after the game? To everybody out there, as a leader of this team, we apologize for the way we presented ourselves tonight. That's not basketball. That's not UNLV basketball. I don't think the kids have given up. I don't think anyone's given up out there. I just don't think they're very good. I think the problem with um, that's just, hard to gauge. The problem with Justin Webster's comment there is. UNLV just played a horrific game against Air Force. Now, they won the game because Air Force is bad, but they they just had one of their most pathetic performances of the season against Air Force, and then in the very next game, they somehow topped it by playing worse against Utah State. When he says that's not UNLV basketball, we're getting more and more evidence that that is, in fact, UNLV basketball. 
This team is 6-11 and 11 in the Mountain West. It's the second worst Mountain West record that UNLV has ever had. The only team that has ever been worse in Mountain West play than this team is Marvin Menzies' first season, which is probably the worst UNLV basketball team ever. This That is UNLV basketball. What we saw last night, as we've gotten more evidence, that is what UNLV basketball is because they're not any good. I mean, if you watch that game last night, there's no one else to, no one could disagree with you. I, I don't, I'll say it again. I don't think anyone out there is giving up. I, I don't, I don't think that that's in them. I don't think it's in kids. I just don't. I think that they're just not, they're not very good and they're not playing well and they're getting exposed a lot of different ways and it's not good right now. Um, you know, and now you're talking about going at, going to Reno on Saturday and Reno's playing for the NCAA tournament. Right. So we'll have to see what happens there. And then the conference tournament, they're either going to be the seven, eight, or nine seed now, um, depending on what Fresno, depending on what they do against Reno, because Fresno State has the tiebreaker over them. Um, I, I don't think anyone's given up. I don't. I just, they're not very good. They're better than that. They're, they're better, better than, than 91 66. Absolutely. They're, they're better than the last two games Absolutely. we've seen. And that, I think, is why it's a fair question, because they're definitely better than what we've seen them do the last two games, and they've been horrific. The, Obviously, the defense was bad last night. The other part of last night's game that really stuck out to me and I think is is pretty damning of what Kevin Kruger has done with this team. Every player on this team has a green light. Every single one of them thinks that they can take whatever shot they want whenever they get the ball. And it starts at the very top. EJ Harkless is shooting 26% from three this year. He's taken the seventh most threes in the Mountain West. That's bad. That is that is awful. Regardless of how good E.J. Harkless has been, you cannot be shooting 26% from three and take the seventh most in the conference. Luis Rodriguez, who missed a couple games, came back last night. He's shooting 29% from three. He's taking four threes per game. And last night, he took an off-the-dribble jumper with his heels on the three-point line. The worst shot you can possibly take in basketball. And Luis Rodriguez took it with like 15 left on the shot clock. You go down the roster, Shane Noel shoots the ball almost every time it touches his hands, including another off-the-dribble 15-footer. Keyshawn Hall does not pass. Jackie Johnson doesn't play a lot, but when he's in the game, he's putting up shots. There's one game left in the regular season, and the players on this team do not know what a good shot is. They do not know what shots are good for them. They do not know what shots they should be taking. And with one game left in the regular season, the genuine question is, has Kevin Kruger not got that to taught that to them? Or are they ignoring what Kevin Kruger's teaching them? Because it's one of the two. Because what they did last night on offense was horrible. The shots they took were atrocious. And either Kruger hasn't gotten it through to them, or they're not listening. And I don't know which one is worse at this point, but their offense last night was terrible. It does not look like a team that has been coached for an entire season of basketball. I think it's more. I think it's more the players. I do. I think it's more the players. I don't. I, I'm not going to believe that he doesn't teach them things or that they don't practice things. I think, and when they get behind, I think the shots become worse. They try to catch up. They they're down by twenty. They try to they try to make too many plays that they're not. You know, they're just not. Like you said, their skill sets are just not favored for. Um, I I do think he. I do think he teaches them enough, but I don't think they. I'm, I'm not sure if they don't listen or they just think they know better um, than the coach. Uh, but they do take a lot of bad shots, like you said. And last night was maybe the best example of it all all season. Yeah, 
last night was we've talked about it a little bit throughout the season, right? We've I've joked about Shane Noel and how many games he shoots before he dribbles, right? His first touch, he usually shoots before he dribbles. We've talked about EJ Harkless taking a bunch of threes, even though he's been shooting below 30% the entire year. We've talked about a lot of these bad shots, but last night was when it all, it all stuck out with how bad their shot selection was and how there's no, like there last night, there was nothing that happened from a, player-making plays standpoint or a coaching scheme standpoint that got UNLV good or easy shots, right? Like, there was nothing that happened last night that got Luis Rodriguez a shot at the rim. There was nothing that happened last night that helped uh, Shane Noel get a shot at the rim. Guys that are playing significant minutes for this team, even Jackie Johnson, who knocked down a couple of shots, they were just off-the-dribble threes from, like, five feet behind the three-point line. Nothing happened last night to get good shots, to get easy shots. And I think that's the big concern because you don't have players that are doing much themselves or have the ability. And then schematically, there was nothing. It was, hey, I've got the ball at the top of the key and I'm taking my guy off the dribble. And when I get any space, I'm putting it up, whether I'm whether it's a three, whether I'm 15 feet away or maybe if I get all the way to the basket. But that that team last night did not look like they've been coached for an entire season. And that overshadowed the shooting a poor defensive effort. And the defense was worse. <laughs> like, what they did on defense last night was worse. Because that, that's the worst defensive game of the season they've played. So, I don't know what you do from here, but they are not a good team at the moment. And there's one game left in the regular season, and then they go to the Mountain West Tournament. And the way they're playing right now, they're not, they're not even coming close to winning a game the rest of the season. Uh, the good news, I would say, for, for the Mountain West, UNLV's playing its part. Utah State, because they beat UNLV so badly last night, jumped from 35 in Ken Palm to 24 in Ken Palm, and from 30 in net to 22 in net. What we talked about yesterday in terms of the history of the net and the Ken Palm rankings, they'd be off the bubble and into the NSA tournament. Yes. 22 in net gets you in the NSA tournament. They, absolutely. Nobody, nobody, the, the, or I should phrase it this way, the best team in net to ever miss the NSA tournament was 34. 34. They're now 22. Yeah. Like, <laughs> they just blew that away. It would be, again, the net hasn't been around a long time, but it would be kind of historic for if they I end the year I at 22. I can't believe 22's not getting the NC. For them turn. to not end. The funny thing about it is the biggest, uh, the biggest mark against Utah State is they don't have any quad one wins. Right. But and what's they have funny, a quad three and a quad four loss. But what's funny about that to me is Utah State is a quad one team. No matter where, if you beat Utah State this year, it counts as a quad, quad so one win. They're a quad one team, but the big mark against them they don't have a quad is they don't have a quad win. one win, which I find funny. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, Tim Miles joins the show. Jalen House has returned. Two game absence. Injury due to hamstring. Pull. Download Diallo. With the hammer, Ibrahimo Diallo. More facilitating as he does so often. Anderson hits. The freshman, Garrett Anderson. Graney and Bischoff are back on the press box. Joining us now, the head coach of the San Jose State Spartans, Tim Miles. Good morning, Tim. Hey, coach. Hey, guys. How are you? Thanks Good. for having me on. Thanks All for right. coming on. All right, let's start here. And, and I don't be humble for us because um, you guys <laughs> are nine and eight in the Mountain West. It's the most Mountain West uh, Mountain West wins that San Jose State 
has ever had. Uh, what was the key for you to turn around this program? Because you were in the Mountain West before. We've been covering the Mountain West for a long time. We've seen a lot of bad San Jose State teams, and this is the best one that's ever been in the conference. What's been the key for you to getting San Jose State from the bottom of this conference to where you guys have a real shot at getting a bye in the Mountain West tournament? You know, I think it's interesting. When, when we started over, you know, and I was out of coaching for two years, uh, I'd been in media, and that's just so easy that um, <laughs> it is. It's I great. wanted a real challenge. <laughs> and, and so, um, but as we got back into it and, you know, I looked at San Jose State, I'm like, okay, we're going to bring in our kind of guys, right? Just guys that love it to be challenged and, and want to do this because you're right. We really didn't have much to speak of in terms of any tradition or anything like that. And, you know, we have a special player in Amari Moore, and we've added a whole bunch of guys around him that, that um, uh, you know, want to do their part, want to win. The most important thing is to win, and they're really connected, and they want to do well, and they play their butts off. And it's been really fun to be around. It's been a real enjoyment. Now, last year wasn't so fun. You know, we didn't quite have everything in place. We had to do all – remember, I signed eight guys all on Zoom. <laughs> you know, we couldn't <laughs> – nobody could come to campus couldn't do anything and then we had some injuries our big kid Ibrahim Diallo who's a huge defensive anchor for us as soon as I think he was missed 15 games we went 0-15 and um and so as we've got settled this year we've been uh pretty uh solid uh had the same lineup the whole year I hope that uh, continues I just knocked on wood to make sure it would so and we have a special player in Amari Moore and a lot of guys are just bought in uh Tim, I remember covering Steve Fisher in his early years at San Diego State, and he would literally walk around campus and hand out tickets and say, come come see us, come support us. How is it going to be at San Jose State? How has it been to get those uh, fans excited about this? I'm sure this season has. And to really build the program infrastructurally from the outside, uh, looking in now that you have some players. Yeah, you know, there's no doubt about all of that. Um, you know, we, we've tried to hand out free food the, I, the chick-fil-a was the one big one <laughs> that was a good one and so you know i think we got to find out what moves the needle and and you know you always have to try and engage the students fraternity row sorority row um all of that stuff i remember being at colorado state uh and finally we i think the students were they're fun like coach quit giving us free t-shirts and free stuff we're going to show up <laughs> you know go get everybody else the students are going to be there and um and, you know, we, we need to work on that. We've, our, our crowds have grown exponentially, but we're still not anywhere close to where we should be. You know, I, I, I would like to see us double or triple our attendance. Uh, I think we could, too. Uh, but commuter school, so you got to, you know, find ways to stick around after class is over. And, uh, and, and that, that's always a challenge for us. But, uh, the, but the locals have, have done a good job of coming out to see us. What was the Chick-fil-A giveaway that got people in? Yeah, that was just it, man. You come in, you get a sandwich, and and it was like bonkers. Uh, it was everybody loved it. Um, all right, I want to ask you. Jealous. I wanted one of those sandwiches. <laughs> no pickles, but I wanted it. Uh, all right, so I wanted to ask you this: You coached in the Mountain West, Colorado State, went to Nebraska, had a few years in the media, but now you're back in the Mountain West. When you were gone, what did you miss the most about coaching in the Mountain West, and what did you miss the least about coaching in the Mountain West? I, look. Easy on the least. We, we travel all commercial. So the 4.30 a.m. wake up after getting your uh, brains bitten by UNLV and, and everybody in San Diego State and, and, and getting up and dragging your butt to the Southwest Terminal 
and and catching that fight. I mean, I could take that or leave every day. I was like, I'm done. I'm too old for this crap. <laughs> like, I'm done. All right. But what I missed was the locker room. It's interesting. Uh, and there's nothing better than the locker room before, after, during a game, the huddles before, after, during. Um, they can get tough. They can be unbelievable. They can be a lot of fun. Um, but the intensity, the edge, the connectivity of those locker rooms are, are, are something that I just, every time I walk out, I'm like, I love that. I love that feeling of being ready to play or the disappointment from a loss or the elation from a big win. It's pretty cool. Some of the same teams when your college state might be near the top, but what has changed in this league uh, based on the teams in this league, the competition in this league, and kind of the parity throughout it? Yeah, you know, when I left the league, TCU, BYU just left the league, Utah, when we got here it was TCU, BYU, um, Utah was in the league, right? And, and it was a great league. And um, and then as well, when I left, it changed over, and I think it had its kind of correction I think it's more like it was. I think it's, it's the physicality, the, the San Diego State light impact. Everybody's got these big, like San Diego State used to have like four bigs and then two little guards. And now they have like six bigs and everybody's big and they still have a little guard here and there, but it, it was like, that's all they had. They didn't have, now they have depth, they have everything. And it's everybody's like the size and physicality of the league is tremendous. You so you take over and like you said you had to use Zoom to get guys to transfer in, but you got Omar uh, Amari Moore to stick around. What was the key to getting him to stay and not go into the portal? How did you convince him to stay at San Jose State? I think we just you know we asked him to trust us. Uh, I think we showed him a game plan that we were going to get better. Um, uh, he didn't hire an agent, and so I I ended up getting him five NBA workouts last year. I think he appreciated that that, you know, like, because I'm more of a veteran guy, I think we've got more connections and, um, and things like that to be able to help young guys that, you know, are, are ready to be helped. And I think all of those things really fit into play. Um, and I think we're very fortunate for his loyalty because he's, he's been a real, he's, I mean, he is a first-team all-leaguer if he's not the player of the year. What's the key to sustain it? Got to recruit, man. We've got to have some guards. I like our, I mean, it's like anything, you know, you've got to build your team. You've got to, I think I read a thing this morning that um, of the top 100 recruits in the country last year, like 12 are averaging double figures. Of the top 100 uh, transfer portals, 62 are, are averaging double figures. And what that tells you is get old and stay old, right? And so, you know, but, you know, you still got to build your team, right? You still got to build guys that connect with each other and, and want to be coached and all the things that go with that. Wait, that was a fun stat. Did you say it was 12 of the top 100 recruits and 61 yeah, of the top 100 out, transfers? I think it's Jeff Borzello has it in a tweet, and you'll be able to find it quick. Okay. Um, and uh, it's an interesting thing here. A buddy of mine sent it to me. Is that and, a is that a legitimate way? Like, how, how do you have to balance, you know, keeping a guy like uh, Amari Moore around, keeping some continuity from year to year with what the transfer portal can offer you? Like, how have you figured out how to balance that a couple years into coaching with the transfer portal now? Well, I like anything, I think we're all trying to discover that, and it really depends on the integrity of the kid, um, you know, what they're coming into. You know, you've got to come in for the right reasons. Uh, and here's the stat. Of the 100 recruits in, top, in 2022, 17 are averaging double figures this year. Of the top 100 transfers, 62 are averaging double figures. The shifting balance of power comes um, uh, when it comes to uh, roster building and recruiting, Jeff Borzello. 
think he's an ESPN guy. Um, and so it's a really, you know, that's, that's fascinating. And I think, you know, if you think about it, you think like in the old days, those were JUCO kids probably because they were immediately eligible. All of our Division One kids had to sit out. But even my best kids at Nebraska and, and Colorado State were Division One transfers. You know, Colton Iverson was drafted and all-league. Andy Ogaday was all-league. Um, Wes Eichmeyer was all-conference. We're all Division One transfers. They just had to redshirt. Now you don't have to redshirt. So transfers has always been this huge thing. But now the immediate eligibility, I think, you know, and I, I think you can maybe transfer multiple times and still play. I, I don't even know what that rule is. And um, that has a huge impact, but it always comes down to, you know, you reap what you sow. Well, he is Tim Miles, the head coach of San Jose State, the Mountain West Tournament, coming to Las Vegas next week. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Coach. Yeah, it should be a great tournament. I hope people get out and uh, celebrate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks. So there is Tim Miles from San Jose State. Um, maybe we'll talk more about this uh, next week. Easy coach of the year for Tim Miles? I think so. I think so. I'm trying to think of who's above him in terms of the standings, but I just don't I don't think there's anyone who's yeah, done I mean, a better job. Dutchard, San Diego State, Leon Rice at Boise State have had good years, but they were supposed to be Ryan Odom at Utah State. It's a little bit of a surprise, but not as big of a surprise as what right. San Jose State has done. I think it's... Pretty easily. He mentioned in there Omari Moore for player of the year. Omari Moore is third in the conference in points per game. Uh, we've talked about this, too. I, mean, I don't. I, I can't even sit here and give you a first-team all-conference. Right. That's going to be tough, too. I think there is a legitimate argument for Omari Moore to be player of the year. Like, it's similar to the EJ Harkless argument where it's like, there's not really a dominant player at San Diego State right. or, Boise, or State Boise State or Utah State right. or Nevada. And... I would guess one player from those does end up winning player of the year, but you can make an argument for Amari Moore at San Jose State. You can make an argument for EJ Harkless at UNLV, who have both been very good on, you know, worse teams than the teams at the top, but still there's no clear, obvious player of the year. There's not even a, hey, it's between these two. It's No. I can't I can't wait to see who they vote for first team all conference. Yeah. I I can't remember what was it in last night's game? It might have been in last night's game. One of the like color uh, analysts in a Mountain West game put uh, Dagenhart from Boise State as the player of the year, and I was like, I think he might have been my third choice from Boise State. Like, I right. think I would have gone Shaver, Shaver, and then even Max Rice might Shires, be over Dagenhart exactly. because it's that like you don't even know who you'd argue from Boise State who the best player is on that team. And on a given night, you wouldn't. They'd say Bradley for San Diego State, but on a given night, it could be. Two other guys. Yeah, Darian Trammell's had yeah, some really exactly. good games this year. Lamont Butler hit one of the biggest shots against New right. Mexico State. So, yeah, it's a wide open year. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas. Wait, I got to do on-air planning because we didn't do it. Danny, do we have the same giveaways as yesterday? Yes, we do. All right, before we go to break, we got Bonnie Raitt tickets to give away. If you want to go see Bonnie Raitt here in Las Vegas, call in now, 702-364-1100 is the phone number. You'll get a pair of tickets to go see Bonnie Raitt performing at the Venetian Theater. 702-364-1100, that's the phone number. Caller 4 right now is going to win some Bonnie Raitt tickets. Schroeder left wing, lobs for oh, Davis, defense. intercepted by Bain. Bain gets by a defender, Bain, lobs for Moran. Oh, what an alley-oop and a two-handed finish for John Moran. Back to the Finley Toyota Studios for Graney and Bischoff on the press box. So John Morant's been accused of a couple of different things. Uh, first, he's been accused of repeatedly punching a 17-year-old. 
Uh, the Washington Post broke this story yesterday, and I'll read from their story. The 17-year-old reportedly told police that John Morant, who turned 23 last August, punched him 12 or 13 times during a pickup basketball game at Morant's house. He claimed Morant and a friend hit him so hard it left a large knot on the side of his head, which police observed themselves. The teenager also told the Shelby County Sheriff's Office detectives that after the fight, Morant went into his house and reemerged with his hand on a gun visible in the waistband of his pants. John Morant reportedly told police he had been acting in self-defense, admitting, I swung first, but believing the boy was the aggressor because he threw a ball at Morant's head, then stepped up to him, pulling up his pants. Morant also reportedly claimed the boy shouted, I'm going to come back and light this place up like fireworks. Morant filed his own police report two weeks later saying the boy threatened his family. That's number one. Number two. Oh, one other detail on that. The district attorney did not file any charges saying there was not enough evidence. The other allegation against John Morant from this Washington Post story came from him threatening a security guard at a mall. Uh, John Morant's mother got into a dispute with an employee at a finish line store. She called Morant, who arrived to the scene with as many as nine other people. The group refused to leave when confronted by the head of security, leading to the shove. As the group left, the guard reportedly the, the guard reported that Morant said, let me find out what time he gets off. And if you remember last month, the Pacers accused John Morant and his friends of pointing a gun at them. Morant had a friend that was ejected from a game for walking on the court. Morant's friends were waiting outside for the Pacers to get on their bus after the game. Morant showed up, and he and his friends got in two cars and drove away. And the Pacers said a laser was pointed at them from the car Morant was in. The Pacers thought it was a gun. The NBA did their own investigation of that and could not prove whether there was a gun or not. Well, if you want to live in a place where you get away with stuff, have that DA. (laughs) The Shelby County District Attorney. The Shelby County District Attorney. (laughs) Okay, so we have in these scenarios, DA doesn't press charges against the incident with the 17-year-old. Um, No one was arrested. No one was charged for the incident at the mall. With the mall security guard. There was no proof that a gun was pointed at the Pacers as they got onto their bus. John Morant has not been in any actual trouble for these events. But what should we make of him constantly being accused of threatening people? It's not good. I don't know. Again, nothing's been charged. So uh, he's either getting himself in bad situations or he might be just a bad guy. It. I, it's fascinating to me that there can be this many situations in a short period of time. These all happened within like 60 days of each other. John Moran's attorney came out and said that basically he hasn't done anything wrong. This has been falsely reported and it's people just looking for financial gain. But my main question to his attorney statement is who's gotten any financial benefit from this? Nobody. Did, did the Pacers gain? Did no, people with the no. Pacers get money because they thought a gun was pointed at them? Did the security guard from the mall? They didn't press did any the charges. Year old kid. There's no civil lawsuit. Like I like 
I, generally, sure, maybe there'd be people saying, oh, there's John Morant. I'm going to try to get paid off of John Morant. But as far as we know, none of these people have gotten money and none of these people I mean, have tried. Unless she said so, and maybe she did, did the security guard know who John Morant's mother was? Now, she might have said I do not know. who her son yeah, is. I do not know the answer to that. Um, which, by the way, slightly less serious than all of this. What the hell is John Morant's mom doing getting into an argument with a finish line employee <laughs> and then calling her son? <laughs> Who shows up with nine other nine people. Nine people? I didn't even know finish line was still in business. Me neither. What, what? Can you guys enlighten me? It's a, a shoe store. Yeah, store. Sport, okay. sports, yeah. Sports sportswear. Yeah. Like well, at a mall. I mean... Yeah. The competition. I almost had a uh, job at Foot Locker. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about <laughs> exactly. that. Exactly. Think it's my, Foot Locker. It's, it's, yeah. Okay. It's my it's my uh, competition. But like, what what's happening there? She's getting into an argument with a finish line employee, and then decides I got to call Ja because he's going to come with nine other dudes, and then he has nine guys that are going to show up to fight a finish line employee? Well, he had, I don't know how many guys were in the car with the Pacers incident. But it was he, two different cars. He, it was like nine he, guys, he probably. Some, he runs with some dudes. How many guys were going to beat up that 17-year-old? They're all probably the same group of guys. And who's the 17-year-old yeah. who gets in a pickup game at John Moran's house? That's what the other that? thing. Who is that kid? Who... The, <laughs> 17-year-old is just there. Yeah, come play pickup basketball. Yeah. We're probably going to end up punching each other in the <laughs> face when we're done. The, it, these are bizarre stories. These are very yeah. bizarre stories that, again... Trouble not, finds them. Exactly. Nothing has actually been accused of John. Yeah, or actually, he hasn't been in trouble. He's been accused. But not a lot of things have actually happened to John Moran. He hasn't been arrested. Anything like that. But these are a, a lot of events to have happened in a short period of time that... Uh, doesn't really look good no. for John Morant. And, I mean, is is the simple answer at the end of the day, he needs different friends? Uh, well, it wouldn't hurt. Uh, the 17-year-old, um, if they, if he's got that many guys on his side, I could see where it was just he said, he said, and, and they're just saying, no, 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 this is this kid started it. And and maybe he did. I don't yeah. know. We weren't there. Maybe, maybe the kid, maybe the kid did. Uh, threaten him or start something but it's just it just seems like trouble follows this guy and it's not going to stop until maybe he does maybe he surrounds himself with different people i'm not friends with anybody who has as much money as john morant but i can't i don't have a friend that if they said hey my mom's having trouble at finish line let's go beat up the security guard then i'm saying let's go do you think my wife has enough <laughs> i wouldn't know <laughs>